Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Plant Powered People Podcast, where we talk with experts, thought leaders, and inspiring people from around the world to empower you to learn, explore, and evolve in a kind, sustainable, and healthy direction, all while eating the most delicious food and living your best life. I'm Michelle Kane, your co host and founder of World of Vegan. And I'm Tony Okamoto, founder of Plant Based on a Budget and Food Sharing Vegan. Today, we are excited to chat with Dr. Christy Funk, who is a board-certified breast cancer surgeon and physician, a best-selling author, and an international keynote speaker. She has helped thousands of women navigate breast issues, including well-known celebrities like Angelina Jolie and Sheryl Crow. So cool. She's the go-to breast expert for Good Morning America and has repeatedly appeared on Today, CNN, The View, and so much more, as well as countless radio and podcast interviews. Dr. Funk has received dozens of honors and awards and uses her appearances to educate and give back to the community. And we are so thrilled to welcome her on the show today. Before we jump in, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Autumn Glory Apples and Seed. We often talk about habit stacking, which is this idea that you can more easily build new habits by linking the new desired behavior with an existing old habit. So they essentially become connected in your brain and eventually they become routine and an automatic behavior that we do without thinking. For example, if you want to eat more veggies, you can decide that before you grab a snack, you'll always go grab some baby carrots to munch on first. And if you want to remember to take your vitamins or probiotics, keep a glass of water by your bed and take them every morning before you get out of bed. If taking probiotics is one of your goals, our sponsor Seed is becoming a huge leader in the field of gut health. They make a plant-based daily symbiotic that is the most consciously crafted, scientifically backed probiotics that we know of. And the plant-based capsules are made to survive through the digestion. So around 100% of the probiotic starting dose makes it to your colon. And we love that they have sustainable packaging. The symbiotics come in a refillable glass jar to minimize single-use plastics. If you're looking for a fantastic source of probiotics, definitely check out Seed and start a new healthy habit today. You can visit seed.com slash plantpowered and use the code plantpowered to redeem 30% off your first month of Seed's DSO1 state. DSO1 Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com slash plantpowered and use code plantpowered. We couldn't be more excited to have a fruit as a podcast sponsor and one of our favorite fruits at that. Autumn Glory apples are a super sweet, super juicy and crisp apple variety that has naturally occurring hints of cinnamon and subtle notes of caramel. Some describe it as tasting like apple cider and I have to agree. I'm a little bit of an apple snob and these apples shot up to the top of my favorites list when I tried them. They are so, so good. You can find Autumn Glory apples at many supermarkets across the country. So keep an eye out at your local grocery store. Autumn Glory is grown exclusively by super fresh growers who are sixth generation farmers in the Pacific Northwest. They grow apples, pears, cherries, blueberries, kiwi berries, and these Autumn Glory apples. We both keep apples out on our countertops all the time year round for healthy snacking. And these Autumn Glory apples let you experience autumn all year round. Check them out at your local grocery store or at autumngloryapple.com.
Dr. Funk, thank you so, so much for coming on to the Plant Powered People podcast. Oh, ladies, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Dr. Funk, most people listening to this episode have probably known someone who suffered from breast cancer. It's like everybody knows somebody. Can you share how common it is in the United States? Yes, unfortunately, breast cancer is quite common. Um, we expect over 297,000 invasive breast cancers to be diagnosed this year alone, and just over 43,000 women will die from breast cancer. So this is definitely um, a really, really ubiquitous and, as we will discuss, largely uh, preventable disease that we deal with. You are, um, however, it's important to note, seven times more likely to die from heart disease than you are likely to get or die from breast cancer. So as we go on talking, it will be exciting for me to share with everybody that all the same things that dramatically reduce your risk of getting and dying from breast cancer just so happen to reduce all of life's major killers like heart disease, stroke, diabetes, Alzheimer's, um, and other organ cancers. But yeah, one in eight women will get breast cancer in her lifetime. Men also get breast cancer. They don't really um, think of their chest wall as having breast tissue, but indeed it does. And so there are about 450 deaths in men every year from breast cancer as well. But when you look at the prevalence of cancers behind skin, breast is absolutely the most common. It accounts for 30% of all cancer that is diagnosed in women. And it is followed then closely by lung and then colon. Wow. It's shocking to hear those numbers. I've grown up thinking that genes play a really critical role in the odds of someone getting diagnosed with breast cancer. And I think that's because every time I go to the doctor... They asked me my family history with cancer. And I was totally shocked to read in your book, Breasts, the Owner's Manual, that that's not entirely the case. What are the statistics there? Yeah, this is a, quite a shock for a lot of people. And even physicians don't seem to realize that the vast majority of breast cancers that occur are not because of family history or an inherited gene mutation, such as BRCA or CHECK2 or PALB2, only Five to 10% of all breast cancer patients have a gene mutation such as BRCA. And just as fascinating is if you look at all the breast cancers, um, you will find that only 13% of them have a single first degree relative with breast cancer, and maybe 20% have any family history at all. So conversely then, 80 to 90% of all breast cancer is happening in women who neither have a gene mutation or a family history. Oh, that is incredible. And I feel like it makes me very excited to dig into the things that are preventable and we'll make it so that we can try our best through our lifestyle choices to not go down that road. I'm a big, big fan of PCRM and PCRM's Examine podcast with Chuck Carroll. And you and I actually met at a live recording of the podcast in LA. And I was so blown away. You were so fun and exciting with this information that's really heavy. And I just love the whole series that you did with them for Breast Cancer Awareness Month about beating breast cancer. So going a little in depth, 
Can you share your four-prong approach? Yes, absolutely. So you're referring to the Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign and anybody listening, it does it's in full swing the month of October. It actually is ramping up in September with across the nation we're doing these drum rallies where we get local high school and college drum teams to come to a city center and we're get it like beat breast cancer. So you beat the drum for breast cancer. And so that kicks off in a ton of cities around the country every year in September. And then we move into all the October festivities. But at any point in time, when you're listening to this podcast, you can go to letsbeatbreastcancer.org and learn all about the, the campaign in this four-pronged approach. So the four prongs are basically the heavy boulders that sit on a scale tipping you either toward cancer or away. These boulders, the scientific evidence strongly shows, are definitely tied into breast cancer occurrence, recurrence, and death. Then I have a number of things that are more like pebbles. They can definitely tip a scale and they matter. But if you have a boulder, you're already like, boom, like so tipped that it kind of doesn't matter. Oh, like about the BPA in your plastic water bottle. That is an absolute estrogen mimicker in your bodies. But who cares if you have a boulder? So the four-pronged approach or these four boulders are to pay attention to diet and nutrition, alcohol, exercise, and obesity. So um, eating animal protein and animal fat is a risk factor. You want to switch toward a plant-forward, more heavily whole food, plant-based diet. Alcohol, absolute carcinogen. Zero is the best amount to consume, but less is better than more. Even the American Cancer Society, I think, has fairly generous uh, recommendations of a drink a day for women and two drinks a day for men as the upper limit of alcohol, of safe, air quotes there, alcohol consumption. A lack of exercise is a huge risk factor for breast cancer. So busting a move is always advisable. How much? People are like, okay, okay, you got me with the whole exercise chat. Like when I deep dive into what it actually does inside our bodies and why it's so beneficial, they're like, what is the absolute minimum amount of exercise I have to do (laughs) to get all the benefit? So the answer is that if it is fairly casual exercise, say you're speed walking and carry on a conversation, I want to see five hours a week. That might be like, oh, no big for some people. Others be like five hours. I'm lucky if I can do five minutes. Like my joints hurt and I'm overweight. Like they've got things that are holding them back from that lofty goal of like 45 minutes a day. That's okay. Like I'll take whatever you can give me and give me a little bit more than yesterday and then try again tomorrow, you know? Um, If it's super sweaty exercise and you can barely carry on a conversation, you're zipping around a pickleball court or uh, running full blast, then I just need two and a half hours a week. You get to cut those um, requirements down. So that's exercise. And then the final prong on your fork um, is weight. So being overweight or obese is undeniably associated with, in studies, between a 50 and 250% increase in breast cancer occurrence, recurrence, and death. And the good news about weight is that if you lose the fat, you lose the risk. So you want to calculate your body mass index, BMI. We've got a great calculator on our website. It's called pinklotus.com slash BMI. Just plug in the answers, which are your height and weight and it'll spit out your body mass index. You want to keep that BMI 
between 18.5 and 24.9. Ideally, like there is actually a more perfect BMI than being in range, and that is 22.0. So that, those are the four-pronged approaches. And the Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign is so fun because all you do is sign up. We get you a weekly newsletter that deep dives into each one of those four prongs, one each week. And you get a free e-cookbook and there are giveaways. And I usually do a ton of um, podcasts and TV shows, but then we also get together kind of real time online and have interviews or a demonstration of like mocktails. It's really fun. So, but those are the biggies, everybody listening, when it comes to breast cancer and frankly, the majority of all illness. So it would be diet, alcohol, exercise, and weight. Can you share how those things are impacting us? What exactly, for those who don't know very much and have not yet read your book, what is happening that causes breast cancer, especially when it's as a result of our lifestyle? Yeah, great question. So every single time you think or don't think something, drink or don't drink something, eat or don't eat something, move or don't move, even forgive and love or hold on to resentment and regret and anger. All of these decisions that you make all day long, for better or worse, depending on if they're favorable or unfavorable decisions, hold the power to alter a number of factors inside of you that ultimately affect what we call a tumor cell's microenvironment. You can think of that microenvironment as like a bathtub that this little rubber ducky wannabe cancer is sitting in. The last thing you want to do is fill that tub with lavender salts and bubbles and soft little robes and other fun toys because you don't want to make the cancer happy. You want to get rid of all of those things that are requirements for cancer to form, to proliferate, and when they grow in place enough, they metastasize, right? So the things that are affected by diet and lifestyle include estrogen levels. So if you don't know, 80% of all breast cancers are fed and fueled by estrogen. So less of it is better. These choices alter growth factors, and in particular, IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor one, is like the big daddy growth promoter that screams inside our bodies, for everything to grow, 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 which is super useful if you're a kid wanting to grow bigger. Um, and it's also useful for all of us adults because we turn over a shocking 50 billion cells a day. And thanks to IGF-1, um, we get those cells turned over. But in excess, your IGF-1 is still screaming at everything to grow. So grow fat, grow arterial plaque that's going to give you a heart attack or a stroke, grow cancer, grow metastases, like into the liver, into the lung. This IGF-1 really needs to be tempered. And the only thing that elevates it beyond the daily requirements for cell turnover is to eat animal protein. It is an, a direct response to the consumption of animal protein, not plant protein. It won't elevate your IGF-1 unless it's an insane excess, which people don't really eat that amount. So IGF-1 is affected. Blood vessel formation is affected. It's called angiogenesis, angio blood vessel genesis birth. If you are a cancer cell sitting in that bathtub and you aspire to be bigger than the tip of a ballpoint pen, you must create your own blood supply. It's a requirement. IGF-1 is a requirement and angiogenesis is. 
So again, getting back to diet, eating animal protein is an angiogenic food. It is creating the blood vessels. But whenever you do the converse and eat plants, that is an anti-angiogenic event. Another factor that's affected by all of your daily decisions is insulin. Both the sensitivity and the resistance of receptors to insulin has a direct connection to free radical formation and oxidative stress. So the bottom line in all illness is that whether we're talking about heart disease or strokes or Alzheimer's or breast cancer, it all thrives in a state of inflammation. So your choices are cascading a bunch of like biochemical responses inside your body that set the stage for inflammation. And when that exists day after day after year after year in this chronic fashion, eventually your body immune system can't keep up. It can't keep up with all of the cell rejuvenation and repair from all the dumb things you're doing all day. So it just becomes dysfunctional. And that's when an open a window opens where cell damage occurs, DNA mutations happen. And if that mutation is in your breast DNA, then here comes the breast cancer. So that is the bathtub. Those are all of the bubbles that you need to pop by eating in an extremely strategic way, by exercising, by forgiving, by fasting has a big role, actually, by sleeping well, um, by avoiding environmental toxicities to the best of your ability, avoiding emotional stress, not taking hormone replacement therapy as that relates directly to breast cancer. So you are going to eat and think and move and choose in a way that is anti-estrogenic, anti-IGF-1, anti-angiogenic, anti-insulin resistance. And then you are going to make bath water that's simply plain old water and the cancer cell is going to be like, ugh, there's nothing here that I need. I'm just going to die now. And in fact, that's exactly what it does. It's called apoptosis. It just kills itself. The image in my head was very (laughs) funny. So thank you for that. It sounds like such a lifestyle of sacrifice, like making it no fun for cancer to grow is also making it no fun for your own life. But hopefully those listening, all of you here today have seen by now that you can flip sort of the narrative instead of focusing on what you can't do and instead focus on what you can do. So when you're talking about eating plant-based food rather than animal-based foods, you can find like such an amazing array of whole foods that you've never explored before. And for exercise, you can be like, okay, what activity would be really, really fun to get me moving? Like what sport like can I join? Or yeah, start dancing. Um, so to ch- it can feel kind of overwhelming hearing all of these things that you have to do or shouldn't do or can't do. Um, but if you can flip the narrative and try and make it fun, maybe find a partner who can like check these things off with you, that can help integrate it into life practically and in a way that is sustainable because doing it for a week or a month or a a year even probably doesn't get the impact like it needs to we need to create healthy habits that last our lifetime um, in order to continue supporting our body not only to prevent breast cancer as you're saying but all of these other diseases that the beautiful thing is that the same exact habits um, prevent so many different diseases and optimize our health in so many different ways. They really do. And I love that advice to, you know, grab a friend and make it 
something enjoyable that you're doing in social connection um, or even some healthy competition never hurts. And the other added bonus is, you know, I said all these big life killers, but there are other things that changing up your lifestyle in a positive direction directly affects that in retrospect, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that my depression, my anxiety, my joint pain, my irritable bowel syndrome, my asthma, my acne, like all of these things were because of other, these poor choices I was making. It doesn't have to just be the killers. Like all of a sudden your cholesterol is going to be lower. Your triglycerides will be better. Your blood pressure will be perfect. You get to get off of any prescription medications you're on for the most part, probably. And you're going to have a leaner body and painless joints and more energy and better sex and better sleep and a sharper mind and smoother skin and regular bowel movements. Like who doesn't want to poop every day? So it's just really a self-reinforcing life life change. Like you actually don't want to go back. At some point you're going to look back at the choices you were making with, um, with a little bit of like distrust and anger. Like I know what you were up to now, like salmon, I know what you were doing to me and I'm so glad you're not in me anymore. It's kind of like finding out that your significant other has been like cheating on you for 10 years with prostitutes. You're like, you're so gross to me now. This isn't even hard. Just get away forever. And I'm, I don't want you around. That's how I view things I used to love like a cheese platter. Well, I love that your approach is so different than most, I feel like, in the medical field. Um, We've come to expect, or at least I think I have, for there to be this message of like, here's what you should do, but we understand it's not realistic. And so do what you can and step by step. And it just, it gives us our own brains all these... um, validation, excuses, whatever you want to call them to, to not overwhelm ourselves, which is both good, but also sometimes we don't um, do everything we can be doing. And I love a quote from the very beginning of your book where you say, I possess the dogged determination and tenacity of my mother mixed with the empathy and compassion of my father. So when you fling excuses and hopelessness at me, I will whack you with a reality check. And when you come <laughs> to me scared and broken, I will hug you until you're whole again. And it's just it's pretty cool to see um, an approach that is both forward and like, no, yeah, these things might be hard and challenging and an uphill battle, but this is your life we're talking about. And so for you to say, really, you should be doing these things. And yes, they're hard. And yes, they might take some time. But um, let's give ourselves the courage to believe we can and we should and nudge, poke, (laughs) pinch, um, taking action. Absolutely. I think the transition I get people to make comes at a time, most of the time, at a very dark and frightening moment. And I'm blessed to come alongside women newly diagnosed with breast cancer and be a voice of, of concern, but also really kind of illuminating a path out of this that leads to strength and resilience and a changed woman who knows this cancer missed, like it came here to kill me and haha, it didn't. So guess what? You don't get to go back to the life you had before cancer because all of those things created that bathtub again with all the bubbles. So you can't go back there again. Why wouldn't cancer just recur? We have to take this moment of a cancer diagnosis and radically alter everything that you've been doing that needs readjusting. And they emerge just like, glowing from the journey, really, for the most part. People 
say to me often, um, cancer is the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, certainly I, this, you know, advanced stage patients who have to go through a literal hell to get hopefully cured, um, might not feel exactly that way, but the early stage cancers for sure really welcome the kind of kick in the pants that cancer brought to their life changes. I know that that's a a wake up call for me. I feel like I'm so caught up in my life that I know what I should be doing. My doctor wants to see me annually instead of every three years. And I actually am going to my appointment tomorrow. I'm very proud of myself. I've been putting it off for a little bit and I'm finally prioritizing it. But um, when we know that there are things that are going to keep us healthy and have these check-ins with our body and it's wild in my brain not to not to do those things it sounds so rational and smart when you say it dr funk and and i appreciate that tough love uh because it it saves lives well, um, we all yeah we all fall victim to the uh, as soon as right as soon as the kids go to college, as soon as my divorce is final, as soon as I make enough money and work less, like you put off major changes until some other event happens. And then on the last, next thing you know, a couple decades have flown by and nothing is different. I want to go back to food a little bit. and And that's what we mostly focus here on Plant Powered People podcast. And a lot of my audience in particular, they still enjoy meat. They still enjoy, um, even if it's, even if they're flexitarian, they are moving toward plant-based eating. And, uh, and some people who are listening have also heard a lot of mixed information on the internet. I feel like TikTok is so confusing with listening to people who have no medical degrees who are maybe just speaking from firsthand experience or they know someone who experienced something. And so uh, one thing I, I hear about all the time is the keto diet. And I've heard you talk about it and it just made so much sense to me why that not, might not be the best approach, especially if you're worried about long-term health. Oh yeah, absolutely. So the keto diet it has so much downside to it, but in the short run, it seems like, wow, I am diabetic and I'm suddenly using less insulin. I had high blood pressure and it's lower. I was 40 pounds overweight and I just dropped 20 without any real feeling of sacrifice. So the reality is on the surface, you seem to be getting some positive outcomes from a keto diet. But on the inside, and specifically in your coronary arteries, you are usually just accelerating your uh, your forward momentum to a skinnier casket. So yeah, you're uh, thinner, but you're dead now. <laughs> so the the reality is the things that people use to um, to validate that the keto diet was working aren't what you need to look at. For example, your blood pressure is lower. That's great. I am not interested in that. I want to see a coronary artery calcium score. That's the true test. And your arteries are definitely going to be worse when you eat a ton of cholesterol and saturated fat day after day. The diabetic argument, 
I don't really care what your fasting glucose is um, or your hemoglobin A1C. You think those are the standard markers that doctors use to test diabetes, but the real test is an oral glucose tolerance test. You swallow down a bunch of liquid sugar and let's see how quickly your sugar spikes and more importantly, how quickly that spike disappears. That means you have insulin sensitivity, which is a critical thing for longevity. So the keto diet is very dangerous because people get some short-term positive results, but on the inside, there's a whole ton of inflammation and uh, you know bubbles and lavender salts to continue our analogy. So it's a dangerous diet. And it obviously um, goes without saying that eating keto, eating animal proteins and dairy and eggs are leading to horrific animal cruelty and raw water pollution and water scarcity and pesticide and antibiotic overuse. Animal agriculture industry uses 80% of all the antibiotics on the planet, which is leading to the emergence of those antibiotic-resistant superbugs that'll probably be the thing that takes us all down and off the planet. And we all kind of know that big aggie um, accounts for 24% of all greenhouse gas emissions. It's responsible for like 90% of all deforestation and all these natural disasters, heat wave floods, wildfires here in California, we're very familiar with melting ice caps. And honestly, the kind of big ironic kick to all of the um, carnivorous eating is that it culminates in starvation. So it's ironic because 82% of all starving children live where livestock consume the food, and then Westerners consume the livestock while these children right there die. But none of that really, it might not tug at the heartstrings of people, right? We all know people come to veganism largely either out of a focus of concern for our environment and planet and carbon footprint, or from animal cruelty and and just they're real animal lovers and can't fathom raising, having an animal raised simply to kill it and then consume it. But the third one is our own health. And to me, that should be like, irrespective of like, you just kind of plug your ears and blah, 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 blah. like, I don't want to see, hear, know about the, you know, the horrific animal suffering and how the my meat actually got on my plate. Like you can close your eyes to the world catastrophes all you want, but you can't ignore your own health. And that is the one thing that, we don't have any evidence for. And that is that the keto diet in the long run helps you. All of the studies about the keto diet, if you go look at them, they're never in like 10,000 people who have been keto for 10 years compared to 10,000 other people who weren't, or better yet, or plant-based for 10 years. That data barely, it doesn't exist at all in the keto space. It does in the plant-based space, and it's highly impressive. The keto studies we do have boast about a follow-up of three weeks, or at best I've seen like six months, and there is no high-carb, plant-based, low-fat comparison group. So be very wary about keto because it'll kill you. Thank you for clearing that up for us. I have another one. About 15 years ago, I remember being at a coffee shop and I overheard a guy telling someone that he would never eat soy because he didn't want to grow boobs. 
And 20 something year old me had to be really snarky and chime in. And I said, of course, um, if soy made people grow boobs, I'd be eating them all the time. And I hear this type of thing all, all the time. It's a common concern. And I know people who limit their soy consumption because they're concerned about the estrogen. Can you share some information about the impact that soy has on breasts, if any? Yes, soy is absolutely a breast superfood. So big confession, when I went to write my book, Breast the Owner's Manual, I dove into the soy science specifically to prove with facts that soy was dangerous. I've been telling women, cancer patients or not, to avoid soy at all costs for 18 years. I told them like, spit that miso out of your mouth. Like how much can you love soy? Forget about soy. Don't ever have it because it's a plant-based estrogen. And as I already mentioned, 80% of breast cancers are fueled by estrogen. So I'm like, do you think that receptor cares if the estrogen came from your own ovary or horse's urine, which by the way is what the HRT Prem Pro is made of, or from an edamame bean, it could care less. You're fueling the cancer with that estrogen. Okay, eh, so embarrassing, so wrong. Because not only is soy repeatedly, repeatedly shown to be safe in humans in all of the literature, but it's not just safe. It is dramatically reducing the incidence of breast cancer. So there have been a ton of human studies that really poured out after about 2009. Um, and every single one of them, you cannot find a single human soy study that shows an increase in breast cancer risk. There isn't one. The misinformation came from, I think, a lot of the mouse studies um, where they would like graft. Okay, I'm against animal testing, but they do a lot of studies on animals and I'm going to, you know, learn the lesson that was learned from the studies, right? So I don't approve of this, but here they did um, graft cancers onto mice and then fed them soy and the cancers grew. And that was kind of where all my knowledge stopped. It was like, okay, so it feeds breast cancer. But turns out that mice metabolize the isoflavones like genistein and daidzein and soy very differently than humans. And so in them, it is a growth promoter of tumors. But in humans, again, in every study done, it decreases breast cancer occurrence by up to 60% for high versus low soy consumers. And then if you already have breast cancer, every study shows a between 30 and 60% drop in recurrence and death from breast cancer. So it turn, it turn, the bottom line is that we have two receptors for estrogen in our bodies, alpha and beta. Alpha is attached to the cancer. So when stimulated, the cancer grows. But with um, literally like 1600% more affinity, the estrogens in soy bind to beta and beta shuts alpha down. So it's actually blocking the receptor on the breast cancers. And as far as Mr. Man Boobs goes, um, Dr. Messina published a really fantastic article in Food Science Nutrition Journal in 2021. So it's fairly recent. And he looked at 417 human studies, again, emphasis on human and soy consumption. And they categorically showed that the isoflavones in soy are not endocrine disruptors. So there's no adverse effect in thyroid function, 
because I've also heard that uh, patients with like Hashimoto should avoid soy. Not true. It has no function uh, alteration in estrogen levels and ovulation in women, semen levels in men, no man boobs, and no negative effects in children. So my three sons have soy, and soy is the only milk we have in our house. Um, sure, other plant-based milks like hemp and almond, and there's you know cashew, all of it is healthy and healthier every time than a dairy-based milk. However, there's only so much milk you're going to consume in a day. So there are so many health benefits to soy that if I'm going to use milk, it's going to be soy. So that's the only milk we have in our house. Wow, that is wild. I didn't know all of that. And I, like Tony, get this question all the time. I think we all hear, if you're plant-based and you've been this way for a while, you're hearing it, you're seeing it pop up online. I'm actually going to transcribe what you just shared and include it in our show notes. So for any of you listening who just like want to grab the clip or like reread this part to let it solidify in your mind. You can find it there. And I'm so glad to have this resource to now be able to share with people who have that question or misunderstanding. That's so, so helpful. Yeah, it's a ubiquitous um, misconception, even amongst medical professionals, myself included, right? Until about 2017. Um, Yeah. Is that starting to change in the medical field? Have you noticed or still not? No. No. All my breast cancer patients will come back and like, I know you said that soy was okay, but my medical oncologist said I should avoid it. And I just, I'm like, okay, I'm just one of the world experts on soy and breast cancer, but that's fine. Listen to her instead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that's soy. Eat lots of it. Yum. Don't worry about it. What about other foods? Do you have a list of foods that are powerhouses and that can help us fight breast cancer? Do I ever? Yes. So soy (laughs) is like top of the list, but there are three things I get in my body without fail every single day. Okay. One of them is soy. Um, I will say something about soy briefly. I did a dive into trying to figure out, is there such a thing as too much soy? And the answer is yes. So remember IGF-1, the bad actor that is a growth promoter and is required for all cancers to form. IGF-1 is elevated in response to consuming animal protein, but it'll also elevate if you have six daily servings of soy. So on any given one day, if you happen to just like have soy milk on your tofu with edamame on top, like you just really soyed it up that day, like one day in isolation is no big deal. And most people would never really want to have six servings. So half a cup of all of your like tempeh, Soy milk serving is a full cup. Everything else like tempeh and soybeans and edamame, that's a half a cup. Um, I think serving of miso is like a tablespoon or teaspoon for the you know amounts being equivalent in terms of isoflavones. There is no elevated IGF-1 for three and four servings. And I couldn't find data on five servings, but six elevated IGF-1. So I land squarely on two to three servings of soy a day is as, you know, makes it a superfood and not at all risky. Okay. So having said that about soy, um, second thing I get in my body every day is cruciferous vegetables, usually in the form of a half a cup of raw broccoli. Um, cruciferous veggies are, you know, the entire family of 
kale, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, turnips, radish, watercress, kale, I already said, arugula, bok choy, right? Collard, Swiss chard. All of these greens have this really high isothiocyanate um, content. So every time we think about chewing and swallowing, that's all you've got to do is chew and swallow. But then all of these chemicals in the food are magically released into the bloodstream that then exert all of these positive effects, right? Like the the curcumin and turmeric or the EGCG in green tea or the omega-3 fatty acids and flax seeds or the genistein and soy that we were just talking about. Like you just have to chew and swallow it down and the magic takes place. Some of the magic though is destroyed by the way we prepare food. So not to get lost and like have your head explode over like, oh my gosh, now there's a way I'm supposed to eat. Like, isn't it bad enough? I have to eat so many greens. Um, You really want to eat them lightly steamed or raw when it comes to like broccoli. So the king of all um, phytochemicals is sulforaphane. So you find sulforaphane in, you actually don't find it in the vegetable. It's not there until you chew it. When you chew, you break apart these little compartments inside the broccoli that mixes the precursor to sulforaphane. It's called the glucosinolate, right? This thing mixes with the next compartment's enzyme called myrosinase and out comes sulforaphane, which is this insane superhero that literally carries the power to seek out and destroy breast cancer cells. It literally has been shown, again, poor mice, sorry about the mice, but this is fascinating. When a mouse has a breast cancer stem cell, like the mastermind of all recurrence metastases and death, the stem cell cancer is grafted onto the mouse. Sulforaphane is injected into its abdomen. I know, really cruel. Over three weeks time, that stem cell going, 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 gone. Sulforaphane in isolation can kill the little masterminds of all breast cancer recurrence and death. Okay, we brought, we brought on, um, or we did a whole episode on sprouting uh, with Doug Evans, and he talked a lot about broccoli sprouts and sulforaphane and how they are particularly extra way, 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 way high. Do you recommend sprouts yeah, so too? Sprouts have 100 times the sulforaphane content as the broccoli florid. And the amount of sulforaphane injected into the abdomens of the mice amounts to one and a quarter cups of broccoli sprouts Wow, a day. So if you have breast cancer, if you, particularly my stage four is metastatic, I'm like, get Doug Evans' book, figure out how to sprout at home and get a fistful into your body every single day because it is a powerful, powerful chemical. So back to the cooking. Here's the thing. Roasted broccoli is my favorite food on the planet and I'm not going to stop roasting it to a crisp. I love it that way. And it turns out that all you have to do is chop up a little bit of broccoli or any other um, cruciferous vegetable or even whole grain mustard or a pinch of mustard seed. Okay. So all of these options, sprinkle it on top of your super cooked and crunchy broccoli. And all of a sudden you've reintroduced the myrosinase enzyme and you are getting all the sulforaphane power back into your food. So we've got soy broccoli, and my number three that I get into me every single day is one to two tablespoons of ground flax seeds. We know about it being like um, the most concentrated form of omega-3 fatty acids, which are healthy, protective fatty acids. Um, 
but that's not why I love them. It is because they have a hundred times the lignin content of pretty much any other food on the planet, up to 800 times plant foods. Um, so lignans have all sorts of anti-breast cancer virtue related to lowering estrogen and stopping cancer cell growth. And one of my favorite studies has to do with a muffin. Okay. So we've got 32 breast cancer patients and you are diagnosed with a core biopsy. So on that core, they looked at three different things, markers of cancer cell aggression. One is called the KI-67. This is the division rate. It answers the question, hey, how many of these breast cells are actively dividing right now instead of asleep doing nothing? Okay, KI-67. Second is a marker of cancer aggressiveness called CRB2, all right? And the third one, I've said this word today, apoptosis, cancer cell suicide. It's where it's programmed cell death where the cancer's like, oh, the boring bathwater, I'm just gonna die, right? So apoptosis. They measure those three things And everybody gets a muffin to eat every day, except they divide them in half. Half of these muffins have the equivalent of two tablespoons of ground flax seeds in them. The other is a placebo muffin. You don't know what you're eating and they do nothing else. They don't tell people to stop eating processed meat or to exercise every day or quit smoking or drinking. Like don't say anything. Just go on with your bad self, but have some vegan junk food to go with it, right? So you have this muffin a day every day for five weeks. And then the people had their definitive cancer surgery, lumpectomy or mastectomy, and the cancer is reanalyzed for those three things. Okay. So what they found is that from merely five weeks of daily flax seeds, the division rate on the cancers dropped by 34.2%. The marker of aggression, CRB2, dropped by 71%. And the cancer cell suicide rate went up by 30.7% just from flax. That's incredible. And it's also pretty cool that if you're a plant-based eater, we all know and love ground flax seeds because they can be egg replacers. You mix ground flax with water and that's already health aside what many of us use to make our muffins, to make you know, our pancakes, anything kind of baked good or oatmeal. I make the boys eat a lot of oatmeal and they try to resist, but I, um, always throw flax in that. And then I have an amazing smoothie. If you really want a great way to get 13 of my 18 anti-breast cancer foods, I have a list of 18 powerhouses, 13 of them go beautifully into a morning smoothie. It's absolutely delicious. The base of it, you can guess, is a cup and a half of soy milk. Boom, there's one and a half of your three servings today. Two fistfuls of leafy greens, two cups of berries, at least one cup. And then, you know, depending on your budget, other fruits can, you know, go in there as well instead of more berries because they're pricey. Um, And then, uh, and some other, oh, so I just gave it away, right? So another, another superfood is berries. Um, but the flax can go in there is where I was headed. And um, the fiber in flax and in the cruciferous veggies that, that go in like the leafy greens, kale and arugula, and in the berries, fiber is like a standalone shout out to decreasing breast cancer risk. Fiber binds estrogen in your GI tract and makes you poop it out. Okay. So I thought it was from lowering the estrogen level, but then it, I came across a study that correlated 
precancerous changes in the breast with the frequency of bowel movements in 1,500 women. And those who pooped less than twice a week versus one or more times a day were four and a half times more likely to have precancerous breast cell changes. So the question then is why? And it's thought to be that bile acids damage DNA that we know, um, and so much so that they actually initiate the cancer change. Now, your liver dumps bile into the intestine as a way of getting rid of cholesterol. But if you don't poop enough, these bile acids have a really long and slow transit time out the back door, and therefore they can get reabsorbed back into the body and, wait, like build up in the breast? Is that what I'm saying? Yes. So there was this crazy study where researchers radioactively labeled bile acids that women swallowed, and then nine days later, they had their breast cysts aspirated, and they analyzed the fluid, and lo and behold, they had the radio-labeled bile acids in the breast cyst fluid. So these carcinogenic bile acids enter into the breast, and then they can exert these estrogen-like cancer-promoting changes that maybe explain why the constipated ladies had four and a half times the amount of, of breast cancers are super poopers. So fiber, fiber, fiber. I have learned so much. My brain <laughs> is so filled now. And I just I just read your book and I watched like five of your episodes on uh, on different podcasts. So I'm still blown uh, away by what you, you're saying. And um, we like to leave people with some actionable things to do. And for those who don't know already, how do you, very briefly, uh, how do you give yourself a breast exam? Ooh, okay. So I have a five-minute video that I made that you can watch at easybreastexam.com. That'll bring up a blog embedded um, with, and in it is embedded a video of me showing you how. But briefly, you if you still menstruate, you want to pick seven days after your period, that's when your breasts are least tender and least lumpy. If you don't menstruate, then just pick the first of the month so you can knock it off on your calendar and you know you did it that month. Then you want to examine your left breast with your right hand and vice versa, right? I always see when I examine people, I'm like, do you feel this little lump right here? And they'll always take the same hand as the side of the breast. Like that's an awkward way of evaluating your own tissue. You want to use the opposite hand and you want to use the fat pads, the top of your fingertips on the middle three fingers to do the examining. And then on the breast, let's just say you're doing your left breast, you're using your right hand. So your left arm goes up above and behind your head. So you're trying to stretch your breast skin out and make it as flat as possible. And to that end, it's probably best then to lay down on your bed or couch to to keep it flatter as opposed to doing it in the shower. But you know what? Wherever you want to do it is fine. Then you're going to take that opposite hand and the three fat pads, and you're going to pick a pattern of examining your left breast, whether it's radially like spokes on a wheel or concentric like target sign circles or left to right like words on a page. It doesn't matter. But you just want to pick a way of going over all the breast tissue directionally that you'll repeat each month so that you get this unconscious memory of the lay of the land, like where your lumps are, where it can be tender to push. And um, you want to go over your skin, gliding your fingers in whatever pattern you picked um, without lifting your fingers up off your skin with a kind of 
light to medium pressure and then repeat the whole breast again with deeper pressure. So you're basically trying to feel just under the skin. And then with your second pass, you want to feel deeper towards your chest wall. And then you always want to do two other special things people forget. And that is to feel your armpit to make sure there's no little marble in there, which would be a palpable lymph node. And that might be a problem. And then you want to give your nipple a gentle squeeze to see if any bloody fluid comes flying out of it. Um, Oh, and I forgot to say, the breast exam actually starts visually. So you disrobe from the waist up and stare at your breasts in the mirror and then put your hands on your hips and flex your chest wall by pushing your hands into your hips. And you stare at your breasts looking for any difference compared to last month in size and shape. If there's any skin redness, thickening or dimpling, if the nipple that used to be out is now flattening or pointing inward, then those are all signs of something to get evaluated. We'll also link the video in our show notes so people can check that out. Thank you so, 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 so much, Dr. Fung, for chatting with us today. If people want to learn more about your work, to find you on social media, how do they do that? My website is pinklotus.com. And on there, you'll find my three main venues. One is the Brick and Mortar Pink Lotus Breast Center. I also do telehealth. The second is Power Up, which is a huge online community of tens of thousands of women who are there to seek out information and social support. One of it's like bursting with ways to connect with others, to educate yourself, even to do fundraising um, if you're underfunded and need to go through a breast surgery. So check out the Power Up site. And in Power Up also is my Cancer Kicking Summit and my monthly cook lives. I do a live cooking demonstration. Um, And then the third thing is Elements. Elements is our online store, which is filled with all of these vetted, really intelligently formulated, always vegan products to help address real needs of women before, during, or after a cancer diagnosis, whether it's like the remedy for hot flashes or joint pain or mood instability. We have a lot of stuff and then some products like um, surgical garments and things like that. Then I can be found at Dr. Christy Funk. So my Instagram handle is Dr. Christy Funk, Dr. Christy Funk. Thank Wonderful. you so, so much for not only being here today to share your knowledge and wisdom with us, but also you do so much in the world to help make breast cancer care and just care for women more accessible. And I just personally am so grateful for all of the work that you do. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Tony and Michelle, thank you guys so much. I love the work that you're doing, spreading the the plant-powered news. It's It's an important and life-saving message. So thanks for all you're doing. A quick reminder to check out our sponsors of this episode, Autumn Glory Apples, which you can learn more about at autumngloryapple.com. And you can get 30% off your first month of Seeds Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash plantpowered. What a pleasure getting to chat with Dr. Funk. She is so knowledgeable and has an amazing way of making something that can be really scary sound more manageable. And if anybody wants a more comprehensive overview of the ways to prevent and beat breast cancer, she goes over that in great detail in her book, Breasts 
the owner's manual, which is has a really cute and clever cover. And we'll drop the link in the show notes and you can find those at plantpoweredpodcast.com. I think her book is one of my favorite covers of all books ever. It's so great. With the lemons, you have to see it. We'll include a photo of her book cover over in the show notes and a link to where you can get it and everything. Thank you all so much for listening. If you know anyone who this episode could benefit, anyone with or without breasts, please, please, please pass it on to them. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can always show us some love on Apple Podcasts with a review. We love those. And if you'd like to support our podcast, you can go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash plantpoweredpeople. And both of those things are so incredibly impactful in helping us reach more people through this podcast. We love you all so, so much. And we will talk to you in the next episode.